Have you wondered about living elsewhere after you retire? Well, we have, almost daily. As you know, it's not an overnight decision. Hi, this is Gil and Jean of Retire There, a podcast about places to consider living in during your retirement. We started this show for selfish reasons, because we will be retiring in the next few years, but we're not sure where. Then a light bulb went off in Jean's head. What are others doing? With so many baby boomers retiring, there must be many relocating. So we decided, let's connect with them and pick their brains. But first, a little background. I'm Asian, born in Brazil, and grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn. I'm an engineer turned attorney and practicing higher ed law at a college who loves working with students, faculty, and staff. I am not Asian. Born and raised in Long Island, New York, a place I always wanted to leave. I am a law librarian working in a court who loves his job. We've lived in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, New York for many years, and I've been thinking about our future home. So we'll be speaking to folks from around the country, and now around the world, who have moved to venues of their dreams and more. And we will share their stories, and we will share their intimate secrets. No. I'm just kidding, Jean. But we will provide information that you may not find anywhere else. So stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Today, we are headed to Durham, North Carolina, with a stopover in the Peace Corps with our guest, David Jarmel. Durham is one of the key cities in the Research Triangle, which is in the Piedmont region of North Carolina. This vital town of over 225,000 residents is growing fast. As a college town, there is always something happening in Durham. The cultural scene is very strong, thanks to Duke and local cultural institutions. The Triangle consists of Duke, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and North Carolina State University. The name was cemented in the public consciousness in the 1950s with the creation of Research Triangle Park, home to numerous tech companies and enterprises. The Peace Corps is an independent agency and volunteer program run by the United States government, providing international, social, and economic development assistance. The program was established by President John F. Kennedy in March of 1961 with the passage of the Peace Corps Act. Volunteers are American citizens, typically with a college degree, who work abroad for a period of two years after three months of training. Many Peace Corps volunteers are recent college grads, but it's never too late to volunteer. Did you know that there's no age limit to joining the Peace Corps, unlike other government agencies such as the FBI, which I looked into? You know, once you hit 37, no one wants you investigating anything, which is when you are in your prime and your skills are super sharp and valuable at that point. There you go. Okay, Gil. (laughs) (laughs) A little about our guest. David Jarmel was born and raised in Long Island, New York, and attended Brown University. After college, he served as a Peace Corps volunteer in Nepal, where he met his wife, Champa. David held senior communication positions at Howard Hughes Medical Institute and the National Academy of Sciences. He was then lured to Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, where he was head of news and communications for many years. In 2015, David retired from Duke, but he and Champa did not putter around the house. They first set off on a driving trip across 31 states. Wow, I want to do that. After a brief return home, they traveled to Nepal, visiting places rarely seen by Westerners. Then, in 2016, the couple, both 65 at the time, served a two-year stint as Peace Corps volunteers in the little-known nation of Moldova. Readers in more than 100 countries followed their journey on David's popular blog and in news stories. David and Champa are now back in Durham helping care for their two-year-old grandson. David writes about the couple's retired life in the Peace Corps and beyond in his book, Not Exactly Retired, a life changed journey on the road and in the Peace Corps. That's a great title, by the way. David has said the book is for anyone seeking inspiration about how they too might pursue adventure, serve others, and redefine themselves for the next phase of their lives. One reviewer calls it a fascinating story about the rewards of doing good while seeing the world. It shows how adventure can give new meaning to our lives and make them richer. Wow. Unfortunately, Champa is unable to be with us today. But welcome, David. 
We thank you so much for joining our podcast. We're fascinated by your story. So why don't you take us on this inspiring journey? Uh, Gil and Jean, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor to be on, on the show with you. And I want to say hi to everybody listening. Greetings from Durham, North Carolina. Hey. So, so I, I thought you did a, a great job of summarizing what we've been up to since we uh, left the nine to five working world back in 2015. We set off on this big three year adventure. Uh, driving around the United States, traveling in Nepal, and then biggest of all, serving in the Peace Corps in Eastern Europe. It really was a life-changing experience for us. We came back with new eyes about the world, but about our own lives as well. We have returned to our home in Durham, which we rented out while we were gone. Uh, and we're now quite busy, not only with our grandson, but I'm involved in various volunteer activities uh, here in Durham and, and more broadly, which we could talk about. So we feel like we have a very full life. So glad that that we did what we did. Yeah, I think that was wonderful that you guys did the stint twice. And I'm sure you saw it through different eyes the second time, I bet, right? Well, I did it twice. I served in the Peace Corps in my 20s, which is the way you know most people, first of all, people say, oh, the Peace Corps, is that still there? So yes, it is still there. <laughs> um, it's celebrating its 60th anniversary this year. Wow. Wow. President Kennedy started it. Most of us have the idea that it's people fresh out of college in their 20s, maybe early 30s. And that still is a majority of Peace Corps volunteers. But Gil, as you said in the intro, uh, in fact, hundreds of older Americans become Peace Corps volunteers every year. And it's not as strange or exotic as some people may think it is. It's actually a pretty well-traveled path. We were fortunate, in fact, in the country where we served in Moldova to serve alongside a number of other older Americans who previously had worked as uh, attorneys, IT specialists, nonprofit managers, uh, restaurant owners, just sort of, you know, you name it, just all mm. kinds of typical American lives who, like us, uh, wanted some adventure. They wanted to serve others, wanted to see a bit of the world. They decided to join the Peace Corps. We can talk about the process you go through for that. Just anticipating if anyone listening to this, I hear all the time, oh, I thought about that when I, you know, gee, I thought about it, you know, I never, you know, life got in the way. Um, but, I, you know, I couldn't do that. That's, that's That would be really weird. It, it, it's not weird. If anyone listening to this has ever thought about it, I would encourage them to look into it. It's actually... Uh, it, it can be an amazing, life-changing thing to do. I actually do have a question. And I was looking at the site after we initially met. Many of the opportunities involve the requirement to speak the language of the country. So I assume half at least required Spanish. And if you're not fluent, they won't take you, I guess, in those countries, right? Mm -hmm. Do you know about that? Yeah, I don't think that's, I, I think that's actually a minority of countries. So, mm -hmm. so Champa and I, for instance, served in Moldova, which let's talk about Moldova just for a moment. Moldova is a small former Soviet state. It's located in Eastern Europe between Ukraine and Romania, if anybody wants to look at a map. Yep. Um, and it, it used to be part of Romania. It's now a, an independent country. And they speak Romanian and Russian there. So we went and like most of the volunteers, we learned Romanian. Well, I'd never spoke Romanian and neither did any of the other volunteers, um, but we learned it. Um, it's harder to learn language for many older people was for yeah. us. Um, but, you know, I learned by the time I left, I was actually speaking it fairly well. So Peace Corps, one thing that Peace Corps is known for is providing really good language training, not just there, but but worldwide. They will, and, and they also recognize the limitations that some people have maybe in learning. They will get you where you need to be. Can you talk about what is the three-month training? What does it involve? So you go over and you have, you have a few days of just getting over jet lag and making sure you have all, all your papers and everything in order. But then they fairly quickly take you out to your training village with other members of your group. In Moldova, we had four different groups. We had an English education. That's what Champa was doing. We had a health education group. We had a business development group. And then I was in the fourth group, which is community and organizational development. So I was in a village with all the people in my group, actually two adjacent villages. Uh, and Champa was off in a different village with all the education volunteers and so forth. Training is very rigorous. You uh, are studying the language four, five, six hours a day 
which oh, is okay. as tough as it sounds. Yeah. Uh, then you have a, a lunch break. And then in the afternoon, typically, if you're not having more language, you're learning about the culture and about your job. So you'll be getting lessons about the history of the place and, you know, just all that sort of stuff. Uh, and especially about the work that you'll be doing. So Champa, for instance, was they were learning about the curriculum in the schools, the teaching methods, and things like that. When you finish your training, you have a language test. Uh, they basically oh give stamp, of, stamp of approval. Uh, and you have a very uh, lovely swearing-in ceremony, typically attended by the, the American ambassador and local dignitaries. Uh, and then off you go to your permanent site. And that's where you'll be staying for two years to to do your job. The language test, Gene. Well, the I, language... I saw your eyes open just now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Most people don't do so great at the end of, at the end of two or three months. Some people still don't do so great at the end of two years, mm-hmm. but you, you do the best you can. Okay. And, and they'll pass you, I guess the, the pass rate may not be uh, that well, high. Well, <laughs> honestly, they, I think they're, they're more interested in what's in your heart than in what's on your lips, so to speak. But, you know, as an older volunteer, so, you know, I'm I'm mentioning and and I don't want to I don't want to stereotype too much because some older folks learn language just great. But as older folks, we also have a lot of advantages. We certainly, Chomp and I felt this in Moldova as did our our peers. Um, You immediately command respect as an older person in the village. I worked at a library with the head of Chompa School and uh, the local governor and the mayor. They, They were all same age as me. And so we became friends. And so we were really peers and, you know, we shared pictures of our grandkids. And so you have a, you, you have a relationship, especially with kind of the people running the place that you don't as a younger person. Also in today's world, most parts of the world are connected to the internet. And so like within a day after I've been there, they all look me up on LinkedIn, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, they, they, they saw that I'd had a, you know, position of some responsibility back in the States. And so they view you differently than they might with someone who's just out of college. Right. I, I hasten to add, I loved my fellow volunteers uh, of all ages. And I was so impressed by the younger volunteers that I served with. Some of them became real friends and nice. they they bring their own special skills and energy to this as well. Yeah. Uh, so it's a somewhat different experience. Uh, it can be a very rich experience. Mm-hmm. So I have one more final Peace Corps question, Jean. I know you're looking at me. Once you go to the country, is the process such that your predecessors kind of hand off the baton to you folks, or do you join a larger group that's been ongoing because you're brand new? So how does that flow? Peace Corps, in almost any country, there's more potential posts, towns, villages, schools, libraries, whatever, than there are Peace Corps volunteers. Okay. In Moldova, there was a total of roughly 100 volunteers you're often not going to a place where there has immediately been a volunteer just before you. There may have been in the past, okay. but I went to the library, which had never had a volunteer. Oh. Champa taught at a school, which had had volunteers some years ago, but not recently. Wow. Uh, so you're really, in our case, and, and in many cases, establishing relationships from the start. When I was in Nepal back in my 20s, I, I served in a school, which is where I met Champa. Uh, and they had had volunteers there, but again, it had not. It, it had been a while, so I was really starting on my own. Mm-hmm. And if you have a healthcare issue while you're in that country, I guess the Peace Corps has all that taken care of as well, right? Right. So I'm glad you. I'm glad you brought that up, Gil. I mentioned in passing that the application process can be time consuming. And that's more than anything because of the medical clearance. Okay. I, I don't wanna I don't wanna make this look sweeter than it is. Champa and I are, are basically in good health. We had to fill out more than 40 forms along the way. We, you know, I had had minor issues in the past just personally with, with asthma and some other things years ago. And for each one of those, I had to get a specialist to fill out a form and extensive dental x-rays and the, the whole shebang, every your vaccine records. It's understandable. Peace Corps takes full responsibility for your health while you're a volunteer. Okay. They're very careful about who they accept because uh, they, they don't want people getting sicker or worse while they're there. There is a country doctor that works just for Peace Corps, wherever you are. There is typically a, a larger medical staff with him or her. 
I will tell you that the doctor we had in uh, Peace Corps Moldova, Dr. Juliana, we called her, maybe the best primary doctor I've ever had. She was wonderful, caring, uh, knowledgeable, and and she could handle, you know, most things that come along. If somebody uh, had something more serious, like we had one person who had a heart issue. Uh, and he was rushed on a plane and flown to London and was treated there. Wow. So so that'll happen. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, Gene. I know you have a I lot have a of few, questions. I have a few more questions about the Peace Corps. Yeah. Uh, first of all, how did you meet? You said you met Champa when you first uh, joined the Peace Corps. How, how exactly did you meet her? <laughs> uh, I was posted. Uh, so let's say I was 24 years old. Look, and he's, turning, I, I was, he's turning red. Yes, what did you yes. do to him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Fortunately, we just have audio on your podcast. Um, <laughs> so I was posted uh, by the Peace Corps following our training, and this is now Peace Corps Nepal, uh, in the late 1970s to a village called Elam, which is on the eastern side of Nepal. If you've ever heard of Darjeeling, like Darjeeling mm-hmm. tea, yeah. that's just over the border uh, in India from this part of Nepal. So this is the tea growing area of Nepal. Many Americans think of Nepal as, you know, these towering snow-swept mountains, and it has those, of course. But in fact, Nepal's the same latitude as Florida, and most of it is more tropical. Wow. And so tea growing is uh, is a big industry in this part of the country. So I was in the school there, and um, I was teaching English and spent my most of my first year there. I got second, was moved to the capital for my second year. While I was there, I became friends with this other teacher. She was kind of cute. <laughs> and uh, we became friends. And then we became quietly, very quietly, more than friends. And uh, we're about to celebrate our our 42nd wedding anniversary of this. Oh, congratulations. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. beautiful. We have seven grandchildren. And so it's wow. like, worked, worked out pretty well. Wow. Seven grandchildren. <laughs> wow. How many children? Two. <laughs> nice, nice nice very nice are they nearby we have two sons one uh yes and you saw one of the grandchildren before we we started the uh, mm-hmm. podcast today right uh, so we have one here in durham and we have one who lives near philadelphia oh okay okay not bad not bad yeah close back to moldova i'm a librarian what did you do in the library exactly Almost all of the libraries in Moldova were started back in the Soviet days when Moldova was essentially a captive state of the Soviet Union. They uh, have, until Moldova's independence about 20-something years ago, uh, were these dusty repositories of Russian-language books, everything from Tolstoy to Karl Marx, and they they were not that actively used, but now they're really trying, not unlike American libraries, to redefine themselves for the internet age. Um, And so where I was, I started classes with them for robotics, for computer coding, for English (laughs) and English conversation, work with them on, since I have a communications background, we redid their website, we created promotional videos uh, to use in the community, we started using QR codes uh, for some of the books. We started using infographics for some of what they're doing to talk about communications things. So I was just involved with them with, with classes and sort of strategic thinking. My big project uh, with some support from the Peace Corps was to refurbish a room that had been sitting there not very much used to turn it into a very colorful family room that we called Baby Teka, Baby meaning <laughs> Baby Teka, like live was the word for library. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's now filled with child-friendly furniture and toys and a, a TV monitor. It's become a, they have programming there now. I, I follow them online. It's, it's going strong. And so that was, uh, that was great. That was, that was, that was the big project. Yeah. So I was pretty busy. Great. And then in addition, I was doing a number of other projects, both in the community and elsewhere in Moldova, work with the National Tourist Association to try to do some training with them. I taught, uh, since I have a news background, I taught news writing and op-ed article writing at a English language oh, wow. school in the capital Wow! and, and did some other projects. Champa's big project at the school, which I think was especially cool, was she worked with one of the other teachers to create a wardrobe and prop cost, uh, inventory, it's a series of more than 40 colorful costumes for Romeo and Juliet and the oh, judge yeah. and a queen uh, <laughs> and they, you know, a crown and swords. They had a very active drama program. She, Champa became friends with the drama teacher and so uh, she got a grant to get the cloth and the buttons and all that stuff. And then the community sewed 
the costumes for the most part, uh, they were just magnificent. And when oh, they finished, wow. it was so they had a ceremony to which it was a really big community thing. And the, the governor came, the mayor, the American ambassador, wow. the television came to cover it. Chapa had to give a speech in Romanian, which she had <laughs> prepared for. Uh, it was like a big deal. And so, yeah, that was very satisfying for, for her to be able to do that. Oh my God. Thank you guys for doing all that. It, it sounds not only fun, but all the contributions you made in such a short time. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, and we're two, you know, we're two, and I don't think we were so different from most of the other people there or in other Peace Corps countries around the world. Um, you, you have many opportunities to serve. And again, what we said earlier, I think if it's in your heart, you'll part of the ethos of Peace Corps is to try to mm-hmm. figure it out and find a way to to do something useful. And again, the goal of Peace Corps is not to do it yourself. It's to empower the people in the community to learn how to right. think in new ways and then mm-hmm. to move it forward, which is why it takes so much uh, satisfaction as I watch online as this this thing at the library. It's continued. The, the robotics team was just competing a few weeks ago in a <gasps> robotics competition. Wow. Yeah. So that it's really fun to see that those things continue. And, and other people have very different kinds of projects, but that's, that's the whole idea. Well, we thank all of you. Okay. We thank and, all of you. And one last question about... Um, <laughs> This the, is fascinating. In Moldova, were you greeted warmly by the people of Moldova? Yes, we. I mean, we were. That's going to depend, I think, country to country. Mm-hmm. We could talk for many hours that we don't need to about the complicated politics of Moldova. Mm-hmm. It's next door to Ukraine, which some mm-hmm. your listeners sure. may be familiar with, mm-hmm. and and the push between the the pro Russian side and the pro Western side, and it's complicated. But a lot of that is playing out in Moldova as well. In the community where we were, they're very pro Western and they're eager to learn about some of our American ways and to interact. And so we warmly welcomed. Okay. I think it's time to travel to Durham. <laughs> yeah, go to Moldova, make, make, make a left and keep going. <laughs> um, hey, Gil, can I interrupt you, though? Because, yeah. you know, I know that most of your shows, uh, and I've, I've been in, enjoying your show prior, prior to our conversation right oh, now. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, you focus on different places, mainly United States, but also you've had a, a number around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's a generic point that I hope some of your listeners will take away from this, this Peace Corps part of our conversation, conversation, which is as they look to their own futures, you know, it is possible to do some other cool things along the way. You could take it even further. There are people who sell their homes and live entirely on the road. Just wrote an article for Next Avenue about that. Um, mm-hmm. But people, you know, no, nomads who live full-time around the world, not just yep. in a single place, but traveling. Yep. So there's all kinds of options that people have as they contemplate the next phase of their life. And some people love to travel. Some people don't. Uh, if there's a single point I tried to make in my book that, that I do on the blog, it's that whatever whatever is your bliss, I mean, for different people, it's going to be different things, but it's to be affirmative about it. It's to try to make a decision. Don't don't just drift. Try to grab it and, and you can try something and more likely than not, something interesting will happen. I used to question for years and years, why are we here? How did we get here? You know, those existential questions. One of the things that came out of this podcast unexpectedly was that we have met such wonderful people like yourself. And the more we learn, it just feels that the world is truly is an oyster and we can do good. Um, So we want to do something meaningful. I mean, I love binging on Netflix. I will not lie. I enjoy shopping, but less and less because who needs all that crap? So, yeah, there's it's our next chapter. Really, it, mm-hmm. it's not just sitting home and aging. <laughs> OK, thank you. Thank you, David, for that support. And then, by the way, we are going to have, I think, three. Different, oh, yeah, we have like three, three different upcoming- nomads. Three different nomad um, shows. Guests. Yeah. yeah. So we're looking forward to that. We interviewed a couple actually who for a year while their house was being built in, was it Georgia? Georgia. Yeah. They traveled for I think a year, a year or so on the road. And that was, that was really in, interesting. In an as Airstream. Well. Yeah. In an Airstream. Yeah. Okay. So Durham, um, I've been to Durham. I was there for a short time. I had worked for NBC. So wherever there were NBC TV stations, there I would go, like Dallas. And But Durham was really, 
was was very nice. And why don't you tell us about living in Durham and how you chose to retire there, you and Champa? I'm sure working at Duke made a big difference. But from New York, tell us, you know, why Durham? Well, why why Durham for us? In our case, was very straightforward. I was recruited by Duke University in 2001 to become their head of news and communications. Uh, eventually, was hired and stay with that position for about 14 years until we left to do everything we've just been talking about. I was a little skeptical uh, about Durham. I grew up, as you said, in the New York area. Chomp and I had been living for more than 20 years in the Washington, D.C. area. And in retrospect, uh, we had all the snobbery uh, and Yankee arrogance that goes with that. (laughs) Boy, was I wrong. We have loved living in Durham. Uh, I wouldn't leave here to go back to those places or, or elsewhere, almost for anything at this point. You know, Durham of your listeners who who may not be that familiar with it, it's in this right in the sort of the middle of North Carolina. It was the tobacco capital of the world in the same way that, you know, Silicon Valley is for the computer industry now. Uh, this goes back to the Duke family uh, and the whole history of tobacco. And that was the driving industry in Durham. It's ironic that that led to a university that now has one of the world's great cancer centers. That's, you know, history works in strange strange ways. And about 20 or 30 years ago, Durham, like other parts of the South, uh, began, its economy began changing. It's, uh, you know, these days it is a very progressive place with a very active entrepreneurial scene. Both Apple and Google just in the last few weeks have announced major relocations uh, here in Durham or in in this area. The economy is, unlike other parts of the country, the economy is booming here. It's a very high level of education. We feel like we get all the best aspects of living in a bigger city without, at a much lower cost, uh, without the traffic, just without a lot of the nonsense that uh, you, no offense, but you may deal with in Brooklyn mm-hmm. or that we dealt with on, you know, I used to sit on the Washington Beltway every day. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. So, so uh, yeah, we, we really like it here. Can you talk to us about the cost of living there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's certainly for housing. It's it's much lower than it is, say, up there in Brooklyn or in parts of D.C. or much less San Francisco or other places. Although here in Durham, compared to other parts of North Carolina or other parts of the country, it is more. Um, so it's you know it's all relative, but in general, the cost of living is lower. Can you give us a sense of the cost of housing, for example? What might a retiree look at? Mm-hmm. You can get a really nice house here for between three and four hundred thousand dollars, even or even less than that if you're looking wow. for a smaller, um, you know, like a bungalow. You, it, it could be less than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's quite a lot of for for housing for there's the full gamut of housing choices are available here. CCRs and other retirement kinds of community, adult living communities, uh, you know, senior rental kinds of communities. You know, I know there's a whole smorgasbord. Almost all of them are available here. I mean, just when I take my morning walk there, I mean, there's housing going up here and there and everywhere. There's downsides to that, obviously. But yeah, there's no lack of choices. Okay. And I would love to live in a college town. And mm-hmm. I, I know Durham is a college town, but do you really get, do you really feel like you're in a college town? Because I know there's so much so much more to do there. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, I did work at Duke for many years and in a position where I sort of had to know what was going on across the campus. So um, more than some retired people, I may be a bit more plugged in. But boy, there is a lot to do, first of all, at the university, but also more generally. Uh, Let me start with OLLI. So this is the Adult Learning Program, the Osher Lifelong Learning Mm -hmm. Institute, which is active in other parts of the country. Nice. Duke, uh, Ollie at Duke is one of the largest programs in the country. It's very active. Quite a few retirees move here just for Ollie at Duke. Wow. Um, wow. I, I just this week wrapped up three courses. Champa's got her last one this week. You know, I, t- I, t- I mean, I'll, I took a course on 
Broadway musicals and one on prison reform and, and a third one on how to make smartphone videos more effectively. Oh, and Chomp wow. Chom is taking an art course. And I've taken, I mean, I took a course on the Super Bowl from the guy who used to manage the Super Bowl. I took a course on Leonard Bernstein from the former conductor of the North Carolina yep. Symphony. Uh -huh. I took a course on foreign policy from a former Johns Hopkins professor. Yeah. I mean, they're just like, and, and they cost like almost nothing. And it's a great way to meet people as well. So there's, so there's Ollie. There's a very active arts community and art scene here in Durham. Let's, most notably, we have the Durham Performing Arts Center, or DPAC, which is a Broadway-quality stage. It's one of the most successful of its size in the country. You get all the big Broadway musicals and a lot of name acts coming through there. So that's that's been quite notable. But there's a historic theater, the Carolina Theater, which gets gets a lot of national acts coming through as well as some smaller venues like uh, Haiti, which is uh, part of the African-American community, mm. uh, The Fruit, which is, has jazz and other kinds of concerts, just all that kind of things. Uh, you know, the Durham Arts Council, Chompa takes classes there. They have wow. all kinds of arts programs. Uh, there's lots of hiking uh, and recreation, both sort of programs and outings and you know, just things you can do on your own. Uh, with sports, we have the Durham Bulls. The Durham Bulls famous from the Kevin Costner and Susan Sarandon movie, Bull Durham. See, Gil, I brought that up once and Gil said, why are you bringing that up? Because <laughs> I'm not a big Kevin Costner fan. I'm yeah. sorry. Oh, but it's I the love best, best sports movie ever made. It, oh, okay, it's a great, okay. it's a great movie. All right, it it's love, a great movie. I love Susan Sarandon, but I don't need to see all those sweaty scenes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh, filmed here, here in Durham, but we have that. Of course, we have <laughs> Duke basketball, which is pretty famous. Uh, we have mm -hmm. North Carolina Central University, which is an HBCU here in town. Oh. So yeah, there's there is no shortage of things to do. I, I you know I mean so just let's let's do a for instance. So two nights ago, Chomp and I went outdoors to a comedy. There was a bar that was having an outdoor comedy show. We sat outside drinking beer, watching comedy. Fifteen minute drive from our house. Fifteen dollars for the whole shebang, and we're back mm -hmm. home. Unbelievable. Uh, wow. Yeah. Can't do that in Brooklyn, I'm guessing. Um, and last hey, night, some good things there, here in there are some free shows, but other, if you have to pay, it's it's going to be more than 15. Yeah. Last no. night, we were going to go to an outdoor film showing uh, down near where our farmer's market is. Uh, fortunately, it rained, so we couldn't do that. But that, that, and then this morning, they're, they're having, I think, like a an arts walk festival type thing down downtown so there's always something going on uh, during the pandemic needless to say a lot of that shut down or was curtailed mm -hmm. but it's cranking yeah. up again mm -hmm. um and so yeah there's great things to do and again you know for me my frame of reference is washington where uh, i loved living in washington but it just it's so much easier here uh, you, you you do need to have a car that's one thing i would say is a negative mm -hmm. uh, the public transit system is pretty limited there's a lot to do. And how are the restaurants? They're great. I mean, the Southern Living Magazine awarded Durham, I think, last year, but the foodiest town in the South. Wow. Uh, and there are several James Beard Award winners here. You know, the difference is in New York, you may have 20 Ethiopian restaurants, and here we're going to have one or two. You know, and in Washington, you may have a bunch of Jamaican restaurants, and here we're going to have one or two. Mm -hmm. But we have them. And we have almost everything. And so you and I are speaking on a Saturday morning, you know, tomorrow for Sunday breakfast, let's say, if I wanted to go out and get a bagel and lock somewhere, I can go do that. Or if I want uh -huh. to get a Southern biscuit, I can do that. Mm -hmm. uh, or if I want to go to a fairly elegant restaurant and have, you know, eggs Benedict and uh, some champagne, I can do that. Yeah. Um, and so it's all here. It, it'll cost you significantly less than it would you know, if I was back in Washington and going, let's say, to Bethesda and somewhere, it's easily 20, 30, 40 percent more. Yeah. Plus yeah. just more of a production. Wow. So, yeah, it's uh, the, the restaurant scene here is, is terrific. And, and you're from New York. Can you get a good slice of pizza down there? <laughs> yeah, we've got uh, Pizzeria Toro, which is this wood oven place. Uh, I, I, I mean, I shouldn't single that. I mean, we, yes, 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 you can. <laughs> you can, you can name them. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. Now we have several perfectly fine, great pizza places. Yeah, I think Durham really satisfies and checks off our boxes, Gene. And then we can travel yeah, from there. College, and I love college. Towns. I know, I I do too. You know, coincidentally, 
I gave notice recently, David, and I too worked 14 years at the university. Mm-hmm. 14 years is a good amount of time. For you, it's a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always had like three to four year jobs and I would, I don't know, get bored or, or for political reasons, you know, the institution's mission didn't quite align with mine. So, okay. So that, that right. I tell you, you just made Durham like back right up there. So right. this morning, as I was taking uh, my morning walk, I was listening to your conversation with the couple from Vancouver and oh, uh, yeah. Gil, Gil, you said something in passing about the diversity of Vancouver, which yes. is of course striking uh, and how that, that was appealing to you. Mm-hmm. So I would make the same case for here in Durham. Mm-hmm. Durham is a very diverse city and something that we are very proud of. The Our country and the South, in some cases in particular, has had a very difficult past with its racial history. Yep. Uh, and there's been a real reckoning this past year or two. Durham is the kind of place, not everyone, but I think in general, we embrace that conversation. We embrace the history, both the good and the bad. When you go to most events here, you're going to see a very diverse group of people, not just racially, but just in terms of people's backgrounds. Some people may be put off by that. I personally find that very appealing. And those are the kind of people who find their way to Durham. So that that is, I think that's true of the triangle generally, but I think it's particularly true here in Durham. So, I mean, I mentioned North Carolina Central University, which has a lot of programs, uh, but there's the Haytai Heritage Center. Uh, I, I personally am doing a lot of volunteering now with a, the, the West End Community Group. And, but there, there are many organizations that uh, it, if you pick up Durham Magazine, you know, which is sort of the, the lifestyle, local. Ma- so in most places, you know, it's, it's the happy, forgive me, but the happy white kids going to private school. Yeah. Um, and, and in Durham, you're going to you, you can look at it online. You'll see something very different. Um, and that's something that we're proud of here. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought that up, David. It's very important for me, like like you and Champa, you know, Gene and I being an interracial couple, we don't want to have to be somewhere where someone might just look at you or so that is very high up in the list of importance for us in terms of where to live. It's not just about the food, it's about the welcoming, the the acceptance or just not noticing, you know, that basically we're all human beings and and there's no reason for all for all this hate. But look, the world is the world and Gene and I have this conversation all the time about why people won't change. I think it was just um meant to be that way. And so we, we, we find those places that will make us happy and gravitate towards. And I think um, you guys hit it. You hit it in the, out of the park, as they say <laughs> in bull Durham. <laughs> okay. Can we ask you about the weather? I mean, I know DC was super hot and uh, what about the, the weather in Durham? You thought DC was super hot. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. Durham could be Super er hot hot, um, yeah. It uh, you know we it, it's in the in July and August. It's hot. I'm just there's no getting around it. Now I'm someone who really doesn't like snow, um, and so I love being in a place where we do get snowfalls, but it's nothing like you would back in New York when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. North Carolina does contend with hurricanes from time to time. That tends to be more out on the coast by Wilmington or the. Outer Banks, but you, it, it could be an issue here in central part of the state as well. Uh, every once in a while, there's a mild earthquake or a tornado. Hurricanes are probably the big thing here. Um, that's the name of our local hockey team, for instance, the Carolina Hurricanes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I personally, I love the weather. For me, that's one of the main attractions. And what about healthcare? How's healthcare generally in the area? I mean, yeah, that's one of the biggest selling. Say, but yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's one of the biggest selling points. So. You have the Duke University Health System, which is almost always on the top 10 lists for the country, mm-hmm. certainly is, is the best, if not among the best uh, in this part of the country. Uh, it's just outstanding. The University of North Carolina health system is also very highly regarded. So you have two powerhouse health systems in your backyard, in addition to all kinds of other health facilities. That is definitely a major selling point. What about physicians? Is it, is it difficult getting an appointment? Do you have to wait a long time generally? Gee, I don't know quite how to respond to that. Uh, we, you know, I don't, uh, I, I yeah, don't quite know what to say. I, I, we're very happy with the healthcare that we have. Yeah, yeah. 
Where is the closest airport, the uh, international airport? Right. Well, the only airport of consequence is the Raleigh-Durham International Airport, mm-hmm. which is um, in in the middle. So you, you said the triangle, which is Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill. And roughly in the middle is the Research Triangle Park, which is also where the airport is. I can drive to the airport uh, in 20 to 25 minutes. Uh, depends a little where you are. Uh, and then uh, they re- they completely redid the airport a few years ago. It's, it's really quite a nice airport now. Wow. Uh, and they have parking and yeah, it's a good airport and has a lot of flights. It, it's not going to be like being like in Atlanta or Chicago, where you can hop on a plane and pretty much go direct anywhere. There are a lot of direct flights, uh, including to the West Coast and some direct flights to Europe. But with a connection, you can go just about anywhere. Good to know. In terms of taxes, now I forget the last time I checked taxes. Do they tax Social Security income? Yes. Okay. And, you know, know, we pay property taxes. We have North Carolina income taxes. I, I don't have like the national chart in front of me. It is less, substantially less than you would have, say, in... New York or New Jersey, but it's more than in some states that are, you know, no state income tax or lower state income tax levels. Uh, North Carolina has been been quite competitive. I would, you know, I would just encourage it's it's easy enough to find online. Yeah, I will say uh, it is. Let, let me mention it, it can be humorous, but you know, coming as as I did from Washington and before that from New York. You are moving to the South here, and it culturally is a little different. When I was being recruited by Duke, I, this always stands out. It's so funny. Uh, they had a dinner at my future boss's home, and he had some other people there, and they were laying it on pretty thick. Oh, Durham is great, and blah, 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 blah. And I said, all right, so tell me one thing that you can't stand about living in Durham. Ah, great, <laughs> yeah. great question. One guy told me this story. He said, you know, I was standing in line at the Kmart the other day. There was a woman in front of me with a little girl, and the cashier said to the little girl, Well, hello, honey. How are you? How are you today? And and I was just thinking to myself, will you just take her damn visa card? <laughs> I can amend it by saying the the person who told me that is now holds a position of considerable prominence in Washington. Uh, wow. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Oh, but, oh my goodness. Um, yeah, but that is, you know, that's also the charm of living here. Champa, uh, you know, my wife uh, often says, you know, she'll walk down the street and people wave at you. Mm-hmm. And at first it could feel a little strange or even creepy <laughs> if you're coming from, from a big city elsewhere. <laughs> but it's, but, you know, it doesn't take long to get used to it. Uh, people are kind of friendly and yeah it's it's just a different pace yeah that's very nice do people have patience to is there do people beep at all when they're in the cars <laughs> yeah not like not like elsewhere although okay. i hasten to add people vary and it depends who you're running into yeah. <laughs> but i think people for the most part that we've come in contact with have been very nice i i know some people hearing this may be quietly skeptical or rolling their eyes and saying yeah but like what else are they you know like um <laughs> And and again, I I would say I'm very aware, as are I think most people here in Durham, that underneath that shining exterior can sometimes be beliefs and values that you may question. And Durham is a place that I think more than most has been trying to put that in the front of the table and talk about it. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, it's really comfortable place to live. And for me, the bottom line, having a son and family that we love very much in Philadelphia and many friends back in Washington and family in New York, we, we have many personal reasons for wanting to go there, but mm-hmm. we're not going, we're staying here. Yeah. Wow. You know, for me, this short time that I spent in Durham, it was it was just a very rich culture. I mean, I was there for about a week, I think. And because of all the transplants you have, people coming, scientists, engineers, and all these people coming to work at these um, tech industries and research mm-hmm. at the university. So it's just like the never ending college experience, I think, is the be- best place to be. Yeah, both UNC and Duke have very active public um, arts programs, Duke performances, or the, we we are subscribers to the drama series at UNC. It's called Playmakers. Mm-hmm. Back when we were Washington, we were we were members of Arena Stage, which is the big repertory com- theater company in, in Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And Playmakers, I'd say, is everybody as good as that. It's like very professional. What we spend on, I'm almost embarrassed to, to say what we spend on tickets. And when we go there, 15 minute drive, park for $1 in the garage. Um, wow. It's just like so easy. You know, and likewise at Duke, the Duke performances brings in a lot of really great acts and, you know, world music. It's just a lot less fuss. Um, so, so you get some great stuff uh, without without a lot of the nonsense. Yeah. Do the longtime residents resent the newcomers generally? Do you feel that at all? Some may. I, I, first of all, I mean, this has been going on for a while. And yeah. uh, I think most, uh, it's just really hard to generalize. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our next door neighbor is a, a, an older white woman uh, from a, fairly conservative background mm. um and she and Chapa are great buddies uh it just it just you know it just depends yeah mm-hmm. i do have a question i i always uh ask guests and that is the move when you relocated was it difficult did you have a lot of uh quote-unquote downsizing or just what was your move like yeah, I heard you guys talking about how you've been <laughs> you've been unloading and going going to the Salvation Army. Yes. So when so we can outdo you by multiples, which is <laughs> when, when we were getting ready to go in the Peace Corps and renting out our house, mm. we had to reduce everything we owned in the world to a little a little room that we have upstairs in our house uh, off uh, like like a mini bonus room, barely that, uh, and put everything into that room. So we got rid of almost everything except mm. like some scrapbooks and saved, saved a bit, you know, when we slept on an inflatable bed the night before we flew off to the Peace Corps and we had like two plates that we, and then we locked the door. And so not only you were going to the Salvation Army, I, I felt like I should get a reserved parking space at <laughs> third will near us. And as you said, it was, it was a real sense of being liberating. And, and we did that over a period of months before we finally left. So when we came back, we, didn't own very much, restocked a bit. Yeah, it's just stuff. It's just stuff. Exactly. And, and that's not what you're going to remember when you die. Uh, it's it's the memories and what's in your heart. Uh, that's that's what I think you're going to remember. Yeah. My, my test now, and this is going to sound crazy, but you can see where we are on camera. We're in a basement right now, but there are several of these huge wall units that are just filled with, um, dare I say, crap. But it's hard to get rid of some of these things because someone is very attached to our child, who's now 22, but had a lot of of different fun toys. And the man sitting next to me is more (laughs) attached to them than our 22-year-old. But you said he's not a hoarder. (laughs) <laughs> you not, really listened <laughs> i'm not a hoarder <laughs> no you're not a hoarder but you know you have a tough time <laughs> letting go the last several years he's been i've been um, much better uh, i wasn't going to say that um <laughs> i was going to say that gene has many varied musical interests god bless him um i'm sure you you're aware all these uh, musicians now who were really big back in the day are now in their 70s and 80s and and they're making comebacks and they're writing books. And so they have these um, little events and Gene goes to them. And at each one, he brings home an autographed book. (laughs) But there are so, so many books and he just wants the signature, I guess. And I'm not sure where that goes. But anyway, my (laughs) my test and I'm sorry for monopolizing this conversation. My test is I plan to be cremated. Whatever fits in my box will go with me. And that's, it's kind of like the Marie Kondo test. You know, I hold this item. I thank it. If I cannot release it, it will go with me. But other than that, it's not going to accompany me. So, Gil, I want to sort of address <laughs> an issue that I think underlies what we're talking about that has may, may, may resonate with some of the people who are listening, mm-hmm. which is... You know, when I left I, I, my job at Duke, I was the head of news and communications, and I I dealt with uh, the Duke lacrosse crisis and uh, yeah, no, yep, winning no, winning Nobel prizes and basketball yeah. championships and hurricanes, and <laughs> so you know it was always something. It was a, it was a pretty high powered, stressful sort of job. Yep. I lo- I loved it, and I and I especially loved my colleagues. I also felt that my own identity had become so wrapped up in my professional, you know, I'd be 
speaking with someone and I'd be the spokesperson and uh, had to be careful what I did personally, that I had lost my sense of my own personal self somewhere along the way. Again, I, mm-hmm. I don't apologize or regret it, but mm-hmm. that's kind of what happens. And I was very conscious when I left at the age of 62 that I wanted to get back my own self, whatever it might be. And so when after I retired, um, we started our trip around the United States, 11,000 miles it, it, within a week and off off we went. And then, as, as you mentioned earlier, we came back finally to, to Durham fairly briefly and then headed off to this extensive trip in Nepal, uh, including some places Americans don't usually go to. And, and it was great, and we were seeing amazing things, but I was also letting go of my identity as David, the guy at Duke, and trying to find another David that I thought was in there, uh, a process that continued as we began serving in the Peace Corps. It doesn't happen overnight, but it's inevitable. Yeah, I didn't want to be one of those people who I would see, you know, going to events at Duke and like back when I was there and, you know, sort of telling about the old days. I wanted to embrace the next part of my life. I didn't want to sort of go kicking and screaming into it. I, I wanted to very consciously embrace what whatever was coming next. My sister, Nancy Colliver, wrote a book called Second Act Careers. Uh, So I was very fortunate to have a personal guide and would talk at length with Nancy about this thing of emotionally letting go. And she would always tell me, and she was, she was right that it, uh, it doesn't happen immediately. It takes, it takes a while. You know, the, the process of letting go of physical things, I think is also part of a larger process of emotionally letting go of some of your, your, your life. And so as your listeners are contemplating and, you know, scrolling through your podcasts of, you know, should, should we go to Florida or California or, or to Ecuador or wherever it's also, it's not just geography uh, and, and, and what we're, what, where and what you're going to rent or buy is obviously very important, but it's also what's in your heart, how you think of yourself and you look in a mirror. So it's a larger process that you're going through as well. Yeah, that was beautifully said. That was okay. That got to me. Yes. Oh God! Thank you, David. Thank well, you thank, so thank much. You. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I admire what the two of you are doing. Thank I you. I think that you're providing a real service to your listeners. Appreciate the, the opportunity to talk about our experience, to talk talk about my book and and else and otherwise. And uh, I hope that people listening may be inspired, at least in a little way, to realize that they they can do this too. And it's something not to fear, but uh, it's a great opportunity to move forward with their lives. Yeah. I was just going to say, this was such a wonderful, warm conversation. It's really made me think. And this is, it it feels truly like we're in a coffee shop, Gene, like we always (laughs) say. We want to give that sense. And um, you've covered so much. I we, we cannot thank you enough. So no, well, thank, been, thank you. Yeah, really rich. Gene, do you have anything to add? No, except I started the book. I'm going to finish again. It's called <laughs> Not Exactly Retired, A Life-Changing Journey on the Road in the Peace Corps. Yeah, yeah. that sounds really good. Okay. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Okay. Take care. Thank we'll you stay again. in touch. Bye-bye. Okay. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you know someone who's relocated for retirement and wishes to share their story with us, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is gg at retirethere.com. Our website is retirethere.com. And you may follow us on Twitter at retirethere underscore. Now, if you've liked our show, please subscribe and rate it in Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, be well. Be well.